Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of Cookie Kid Radio. I am your host as always, Roy Turner, and welcome to the season six premiere of Cookie Kid Radio. I want to thank all of our loyal subscribers and all the little listeners out there, and let me tell you, we are back, and we've got, we're back with a freaking bang. To my right here is our special co-host for this week is Melissa Hatfield. Melissa, welcome to Tricky Kid Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. And if you guys saw this illumin- this illuminating <laughs> green hair, you would be as excited as I am. <laughs> Melissa kicks serious ass, uh, and uh, and I, I'm so glad that, that, that she's joining us this week, and we've had, had, a, had a great time. Uh, any listener of the show or anybody knows me personally knows that I'm a massive G.I. Joe fan. I read the comic religiously as a kid and as an adult because it is still going strong, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and the man himself, Larry Hama. And I said that poignantly, and you'll find <laughs> out a little in here in a little bit why. But yeah, man, Larry Hama, the creator of the G.I. Joe universe. Uh, when we started doing this, I made this little wish list of, of you know, like, okay, who, who could we, you know, get? And, you know, when this thing was just a little sketch in my notebook, uh, and Larry was at the top of that list, my idol of all idols. So this is a, a big deal for, for us uh, professionally and personally. And Melissa, to have you here along for the ride, because you were there when we did it. I and, was. And were responsible for why I think Larry uh, was endeared to <laughs> us. I can't thank you enough. So why don't you tell all the good listeners where they can find you on social media? Okay, you can follow me on Twitter at Melissa Hatfield, um, just Melissa without the A. It's lame and uncreative. <laughs> and it's also my Instagram handle. So again, just Melissa Hatfield. And if you're into beer, wrestling, or cats, oh man, are you going to be psyched when you see that? <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> She's not kidding. Folks. It's, uh, and wrestling is actually how, how we met. That's true. Yes. Uh, so that's an interesting story, which we should probably should, should tell our listeners. Yeah. Is it, uh, so, okay. So of course, all of you know that uh, you know, we've had a lot of great wrestlers on the show. We had everybody from Diamond Dallas Page to the original cast of Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling and and, and and quite a few other ones. And I also, of course, am on the broadcast team for IHW Wrestling here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so along with my broadcast partner, we are always out going out to a lot of indie shows. Went to indie show. I uh, oddly, not, not oddly, but just not quite as as, as uh, um, expected was in the neighborhood. Yeah, it was a less traditional, perhaps wrestling show, but that's what made it amazing. Oh no, that's what made it, <laughs> it was my favorite show last year. Yeah, uh, and so we went uh, to what they call affectionately uh, the neighborhood, uh, and it was for sabotage wrestling. That we were it was a uh, NAWA. That gotcha. one was okay. yeah. And what, and what and what is that? Tell me. The North American Wrestling Alliance. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. And so, again, Tyler was way more uh, dialed in, that's my broadcast partner, uh, to that promotion. He mm-hmm. was just like, so I was kind of following his lead, and I was like, well, this is cool, and you know, and and I have um, a few friends that work down there, I'm DJ down there, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, now how cool to go to a wrestling show down there. And we get there, we're sitting in the front row of ringside, and who happens to be sitting next to me? <laughs> the, the the green-eyed monster herself. <laughs> I, think the, I think the hair was blue then. It was I don't. Blue. Yeah. It was blue. It was I don't. Blue. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. It changes it every no, couple no, it of months. Was. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, and I told you this a million times, and I will now. I get to say it to our our, our You were so fun and oh, so blast. awesome. And we, 
and again, like I'm not trying to defend wrestling fans or or persecute them, but you know, it is what it is at times. Right. Know? Yeah. It can be a mixed bag. You get people that enjoy wrestling, and then there's people that reinforce that wrestling fan stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and I hate to be gender specific, but you're usually not going to typically see, you know, a young, attractive female. <laughs> With any color hair, let alone blue, right. sitting front row. So I was waiting for your like hot topic manager boyfriend or girlfriend in right. the neighborhood to come plop down and go, hey, buddy, you're in my seat. You know? And I was like, uh, you know, so again, I, I know I hate to assign those, those roles there, you know, those very, you know, uh, conforming binary, whatever they want to say. But but again, isn't is it fair to say that, uh, that that's something that you would normally say? I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think with it being in the area that it was in, I wasn't expecting as much of it. And I think there wasn't, I think there was a more, um, diverse crowd there, which was really, really right. cool. But there were still some folks who were just marking it up, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, for me though, it was so great because I just, my whole thing was like, okay, don't give her any impression whatsoever that you're hitting on her right. or you know, let, let her be clear. I, I, I even did like the thing that most women do, which was, oh, yeah, you know, it reminds me of that time that my girlfriend said that, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was so cool because, again, like I said, I, you know, again, like, OK, why should it be different? Like, if it was mm-hmm. just a right, if it was a guy sitting there by himself would I have thought all of it so it, it, it is it's a little unfair but it's just but it, that's what life is right exactly. is, that, is that fair yeah because you know? yeah. I, I feel like I have to apologize for that kind of thing like well because it was a guy sitting there I would be going okay well where's where's his <laughs> girlfriend and uh, I want him to understand that I'm you know, I wouldn't have had all of those right. you know but it's just one of those things and so but you were so fun that was you were so funny and you made that show for us Oh, you know? thank you. Thank you. And so I was so happy we got the luck of the draw because there were some people that I was so happy not to be sitting next to. Yeah. <laughs> One being, uh, shout out to, to, to Christy James. Yes. You, you, should, you, yes. Should, you should tell this story. Oh, my goodness gracious. I couldn't tell for a while whether this woman was heckling her or she wanted to spend some very <laughs> close quality intimate time with her. Either is fine. It's a wrestling show, so that's great. Right, but. Right. Oh my goodness, I can't say any of the things that she was saying because boy, were they vulgar. <laughs> In, you know, it, it's so strange. It's like it sort of went past the point of being tacky to being hilarious and just like funny again. And it was sort of, I didn't really know what to think of her. Um, but yes, a lot was said. And at one point, she sort of was giving it back, which was pretty cool. Right. But yeah, that was, um, that was unique. And I've never seen that kind of an exchange before at a wrestling event. I, I haven't either. So, so when Chrissy James got up on the turnbuckle and leaned over so mm-hmm. that only Christy, her, the heckler, yeah. and those that were underneath her at the turnbuckle, meaning you and I yeah. and Tyler, <laughs> could hear what she was saying. And it was real. It was real heat. It was real basically saying, Look, honey, if if you if, if what if you really want want to to act on what you're saying, I mean, she really got under her skin. Yeah, you know. You know? And, and right then, like I like I went from like like I officially was afraid of Christy James. Right. Uh, been, every time I've seen her since, I'm always kind of like, 
Hi, Christy. How are you? Good to see you. Like, you know, no eye contact. Right, right. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so that's how, and, you, and, I, and I've told this before. So then, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't obviously exchange any sort of like, hey, you know, uh, what's the next show you're going to? Maybe right. I'll see you there. And I guess it was quite a few months went by, and, yeah. and the WWE were in town. Uh, they were actually doing the very first, maybe the last show <laughs> ever. Excuse me. Good old dog fish head. Uh, <laughs> uh, shout out to the ninety to the sixty minute IPA yeah. here. Good oh, it's stuff. delicious. Cheers. <laughs> um, is uh, they were doing a show at uh, UT Arlington. Yes. Um, and I was out actually maybe getting a beer or something as well. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not this one, but uh. And I saw uh, the the blue green. I, clearly, it was yeah. you. <laughs> I glow. I mean, I really do. But I, I was like, okay, what are the odds of having another blue haired girl at a wrestling show <laughs> in the DFW area? Uh, and so we actually wanted to, you know, to, to say, hey, you know, where are you sitting? Because again, because you were so much fun. Yeah. So, so, so we've got this kind of mutual appreciation society, and mm-hmm. we've been seeing each other at shows. And now we thought, you know what? Let's make this. Uh, official. Yes. And what are the shows we go to? We went to we went to a Imperial Wrestling Revolution show. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, Metroplex Wrestling. That's right. Um, okay. I'm trying to think. And then I guess that other one that, that a new a new thing called Pro Wrestling Religion that's yes. happening. And they have it. And all these have shows coming. up. You would be better about this. And why don't you tell our listeners where they could potentially see any or all three of those promotions? Okay, the next uh, Pro Wrestling Religion show, the date has actually changed. So it's going to be Wednesday, February 28th, and it's in Carrollton. I believe it's the Plaza Arts Center. That's right. Is that that's what right. it's called? Okay, that's yeah. Right. I think the show starts at 7, but just uh, they're on Facebook. Just find them at uh, Pro Wrestling Revolution. And they're promising, or religion, I'm sorry. And they're promising free beer. Speaking of which, right? They right. are. If you buy your tickets early, you get a uh, free beer. And again, pardon me. Pro wrestling religion, not revolution. My gosh, right. okay. words are hard. Well, no, because the other one is the Imperial Wrestling Revolution. Yes, okay. yeah. And I'm then, glad words are hard while I'm on a podcast. <laughs> That's super helpful, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but um, but yes, that shows at the end of February, so there's still plenty of time to get your tickets. Um, I don't know when the next IWR show. Is. I know they do have a show coming up, so you guys should should, should just go yeah. to their website and check it out and everything else. And so then. Uh, and then, and then um, Metroplex Wrestling, MPX, every Saturday night in Bedford. It is Bedford, Texas. Bedford, Texas. Yes, sorry. It's, Most um, people listening right now are in Newcastle, England. Oh, they, <laughs> that would be a bit of a hike. Um, they're a really great local promotion. I love that they're 10 minutes from my house, and I go I, I go as many Saturdays as I can. They're great. Erica Torres will be there this Saturday. And then they're having their their version of the Royal yes. Rumble. The Texas Rumble is the twenty fourth, so that's going to be killer. And that's and that's on it ends on a Saturday. Yes, okay, yes, Saturday. Cool, cool. So everybody, go check that stuff out. And, and speaking of, uh, you know, we should get into this a little bit later, but of course we're talking about wrestling. Is yes. that you know, in IWR, we got to have a great time. Uh, we went up to the lovely town of Ardmore, Oklahoma, of course. <laughs> Uh, the promoter is a guy named Jerry Bostick, and he's a good friend of mine. And he uh, brought in uh, a good friend of his, uh, uh, Gail Kim, uh, one of the all-time greats to do it. And uh, we got to, you know, enjoy a history-making moment of enjoying watching the women's first-ever oh. battle royal with one of the all-time greats, uh, Gail Kim. And so, shout out to Jerry, shout out to Gail. We had such a good time, and uh, I feel like we should do an entire episode. Uh, I feel like after we're done here, you and I are going to watch the women's yes, uh, uh, yes. again 
and maybe we'll do or maybe we'll do a whole episode on that. So if you would like to see that, go ahead and tweet at us at uh, Tricky Kid and the number two. That's on Twitter, and of course you can find us on there, uh, or also on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. And uh, my uh, girlfriend Jossie uh, has uh, talked me into doing Instagram. Uh, please don't be offended. <laughs> I only follow her, and that's probably who I'm always only going to follow. <laughs> I feel like if you want me to follow you, or we're going to have any sort of connection, just let's do the Twitter thing. Let's do whatever Instagram. I'm just gonna. It's just gonna be like super sappy lovey-dovey stuff for, 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 for her but I don't know we'll see if I can if I if I see money coming in if I see if I, if I smell money we'll see then anyway, go for it right but I'm on there of course under my DJ all, uh, um, uh, alter ego under of course DJ Tricky Kid okay so now talking about Larry Hama and this was even funnier too because uh, so we get you and I uh, go to the Urban Convention Center, and and I was surprised to learn that this was your first Comic Con. Yes, yes, I um I've always enjoyed comic books, but I've never been devoted to them. Right. Maybe is is or the just right just way con period because I think that yeah. people, I think people who go to cons now may or may not. I think I think that the actual word comic is a uh, forgotten conclusion. Well, right? yeah. Because they're going there now for social reasons. They're going there for cosplay. That's true. They're going there, uh, again, it, it, the very social. So, so having to have a bona fide interest in comics, I, don't, I think that's ir- irrelevant now. So, yeah. So, so what, was, what was your impression when, when, when we got there? It was a little overwhelming initially just because there was so much to see. Um, I sort of felt like... Like a bird, just trying <laughs> to figure out which shiny thing I wanted to go at first. <laughs> but it was um, absolutely incredible. I mean, it was overwhelming, but in a great way. I just, I, I couldn't wait to look at everything. I kind of felt like a little kid. No, a no, bit. no, and you looked like what it was great. Yeah, I was but running around like an idiot. <laughs> I realized I, I was like, my gosh, have I been to too many of these? Have I, have, have I become the, you know, you know, you have the hunter gatherers and yeah. then you have the one that stays at, you know, it's like, it's like, what happened to me? Like, I, 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 why am I so numb to this? Or, but I also was a bit, you know, had the, the big interview on my mind yeah. as well. But, but just walking in there and, and again, like I said, I'm not making assumptions, but come on, man. You know, and, and, and you guys will get it. Uh, there'll be pictures of, of us doing this this very podcast, and you will see pictures of the great Melissa Hatfield on her social media. And I'm not making any assumptions, but by looking at you, I would think you may have spent some time with the 27 guys. Okay? <laughs> or at least or at least you have seen, you have binge-watched Stranger Things at the very least. Like, I am familiar. I've walked the walk a little bit. You know, I've done some gaming in my day. Okay, yeah, okay. I so enjoy I it. I just kind of figured that you would know what all that was yeah okay and again like i said and i can't sit here and talk like i'm again the the elder statesman here about it because for me and and i we've done so many episodes i don't excuse me on this i don't want to have to repeat this but i'll tell this to you Uh okay is that again i read comics as a kid gi joe being my monthly salvation larry hama uh, being my idol of all idols, my favorite writer, my favorite everything. Uh, and it was, a, you know, I, I very much am dialed into that. Again, I'm not trying to sound like a separatist or an elitist, but just like within the wrestling world, I am a wrestling fan, and but I've never found myself really in cahoots with other wrestling fans, and not because right. I didn't want to or because they're not 
worth being in cahoots with. I just, it just, I'm not, I'm dialed into wrestling, but I'm not really dialed into what the wrestling culture is like. Same thing applies for comic books. And I was, we were in, um, in at Sundance, mm-hmm. uh, the one and only time I've, 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 uh, I've been, and uh, it was amazing. Like I said, we had, uh, uh, you know, it was the premiere of Diamond Dallas Page's film about Chicken Snake Roberts. Yes. Uh, and I got to spend the week with him and Scott Hall and, and the whole the whole uh, uh, crew there, and that was an unforgettable experience. Um, but so, uh, but what was funny was that I got invited to stick around to go to the Salt Lake City Comic Con. Now, again, we've already have talked a lot about this, and there's a whole, uh, you know, in, there's a whole a lot of coverage on this on our website, of course, which is trickykid.com. Go to www.tricky-kid.com or just Google trickykid.com, Salt Lake City Comic Con. But this was a very pivotal thing for me professionally and personally because I got invited to stick around that weekend. And apparently where there are these, you know, there's probably a what we're, what we're calling a Comic Con. Right. You know, Calico we went to. Uh, and, and again, no diss to them. Let's go ahead and plug them. They're just called, they're called Comic Books Dallas. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a... Um, there's a couple, there's like North Texas comic books, and, and this is what they are. I think they're linked to their North Texas comic book, uh, if you go on Instagram, whatever. And there are these fun, fine little shows and, and everything else, but then you ha- kind of have these city-specific kind of big deals, mm-hmm. right? Well, apparently, and in, in, in even among those, apparently Salt Lake City is one of the, the, the bigger ones, like oh, one wow. of the biggest ones. Of course, what is considered to be officially Comic Con, of course, is Comic Con International, which is in San Diego Got in it. spring, and that's the one. Yeah. But this is right there with Wizard World, Chicago, and and, okay. else. and I I didn't know this at the time. I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. The lineup was stacked. They had, uh, you know, Carrie Fisher, and uh, uh, they had Ralph Macchio, and they had the, wow. the Karate Kid, and and uh, you know, Doctor Who was starting to get its footing again, and yeah. all that. And I went thinking, okay, oh, I haven't read, you know, really read comics uh, or uh, other than, of course, G.I. Joe and haven't been a part of them in a long time. I go, and the word cosplay wasn't in my vernacular. I didn't know what that was. Right. I, knew, I knew people dressed up at midnight to see Harry Potter, <laughs> but I didn't, I was completely, and why would I, I I've been, it's, you know. And I go there, and I meet uh, the most amazing young lady named Joni Brosis. Shout out to her. Uh, and because there was this buzz happening, I thought, you know, it was like freaking Beatlemania. I mean, <laughs> no, I, 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 can't, I thought like Stan Lee was over there having a conversation with Jack Kirby or like the ghost oh, of Jack Kirby or yeah. something. <laughs> old, old references, but... <laughs> But, but seriously, I really thought that, like, uh, you know, I mean, it was, I mean, there was just this, this just crazy, uh, just, you know what I mean? Like this, this, this kind of, uh, what we're looking for, kind of like this, this is fan maniacal, like this, this crazy hysteria is what we're yeah, looking for. Yeah, there we go. And I was like, what? Who is over there? Yeah. And I went over there and there was this, again, and again, the word Pro cosplayer. That, that that sounds interesting because it's like, wow, we live in a world now where people are actually being paid to play video games. Yeah. Uh, paid to dress up as costume characters. And she was there with her friend uh, Megan. And dude, I'm telling you, like it was nuts. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Of course, they're both very attractive. Mm-hmm. And they both do a very, uh, very accurate, uh, 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 you know, uh, 
uh, cosplay and you know the, like again and but man but this was I was like wow so I ended up having when Joni came to Dallas uh, in uh, last year mm -hmm. I was like I have to get her on the show and I have to tell her that story so if you guys go to our YouTube channel just type in Tricky Kid TV or Tricky Kid TV Joni Broses because she's like one of the most well-known cosplayers like in the world I mean, right she is on the cover she her Vamprella is on the the alternate cover for issues two and ten for Dynamite Comics. She's got a Red Sony issue coming out. Uh, wow. uh, the guy, I forget his name, John Schrom John Schnepp, that did uh, does Metalocalypse and did the documentary The Death of Superman yeah. Lives and all that. He's got a new project coming out that she's voicing, and she is That's amazing. She's so nice and so kind. And speaking of which, Fan Expo Dallas, the big like our local big one, is coming up. Now, here's where it crosses over with wrestling because it's during <laughs> WrestleMania weekend. Oh, God. So if you are going to New Orleans uh, for WrestleMania uh, 34, and I encourage you because we will be there too. Uh, but if you are going, if you're not and you're, you like this stuff <laughs> and or if you're in the Dallas area, go to Fan Expo Dallas. Go say hello to Joni Brosis. Tell her we said hello. Uh, and uh, and we love her, and we wish her the, uh, her uh, all all the best on all her current awesome endeavors. So that's what kind of led us to covering and being kind of a part of this back in this kind of Comic Con world. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? Yeah. Where suddenly cosplay is a big deal. What was your take on all that? I really like it. Um... I'm a huge fan. Like, Halloween is my favorite holiday. Okay. So anyone that can make a living dressing up and doing their thing and getting to, like, live that kind of perfect fantasy and yeah. that's your job, oh, my God. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have the patience for it, personally, <laughs> because I just – that's so much to keep up with, but – I see you as being a, just a, like the most baddest ass cosplayer. Okay, well maybe I, I thought you were gonna say bad. I could like I can no, do that. No, no baddest ass. <laughs> I, I mean, you already got a head start. You already have the green hair. No, I got the green hair. No wig needed, so yeah. you could already could do the Orion, Orion slave, whatever it is from Star Trek. <laughs> but no, but with your personality, mm -hmm. your outgoingness, and your creativity, and your love for stuff. Um, it's so cool, man. Like I guess, and people are doing it big. I mean, I mean, yes. they're doing. It. I mean, it's like it's a big feature now. Uh, and so again, if you go to trickykid.com, I mean, we have had the pleasure since that was in 2015. For the for the past three years, we are very dialed into that. I mean, uh, now you had been to Acon before, you said. Yes. So years what, what was your ago. what was your experience with that? I liked it. Um, I'd never seen anything like it. It, it was much bigger than um, the event we attended on Sunday. But, um, oh, my gosh. I was blown away at the costumes. There was – I'll never forget this, man, because Pyramid Head scares the crap out of me. <laughs> I love Silent Hill, but that game is terrifying. And so I'm walking with my friend, and we just met this other person at the hotel that was nearby. And so we're all walking, and they're dressed up, and I'm just like, oh, I'm here because it's fun. And I I'm, I'm having such a nice time, and I'm excited to see – the big thing, and I walk around the corner, and there's this dude dressed as Pyramid Head, and I grabbed my friend, and I said, F no! And I, like, turned around, and I was like, I'm an adult, but not today, and I couldn't do it. It was it was horrific, and it's one of the best costumes I've ever seen, 
And I never got within about 50 feet of that man because <laughs> I was horrified. You know, I, I, I uh, ended up DJing uh, Akon a couple of years in a row, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I knew mm-hmm. nothing about anime, still don't. And got to the Hilton Anatole in Dallas, and it was just like, on one hand, it was like, like summer camp without the counselors yes. and the kids were going crazy. <laughs> and then there was this weird element of like the Scarborough fair, uh, but kinky, yeah. um, kind of, I don't want to say swinger, but like BDSM. <laughs> like there was this really sexual undercurrent. Yeah. That was just hard to ignore. Right. Like, there was just this raging boner that was just (laughs) making this swath uh, through. (laughs) So, on one hand, it was very innocent. On the other hand, it was really not. And, uh, you know. And there's no middle ground. It's either one or the other. (laughs) And it went all night. Yeah. So, 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 you know, know, the things come out at night, you know. (laughs) So... What did you watch and play with as a kid? Like, what would be, like, G.I. Joe was my thing. Mm -hmm. What would be your thing? Um, I have always loved Star Trek, The Next Generation. Um, That was one of my, outside of wrestling, actually, that was my favorite thing to watch. Um, And I I don't know what it was about it, what exactly drew me in. I, I love the idea of time or space travel and, it's just so fascinating. So at eight years old to see that I was, I was locked in. And, um, and I think the thing that sealed the deal was Deanna Troy. Okay. I was like, Oh, she's cool. Yeah. Oh, I like her. Yeah. Cause she was so calm and collected, but also like she would sass you. <laughs> if you came at her, she did not take crap. And I just, to this day, she's still one of my favorite fictional characters, probably in the top five. Um, but I loved that. And then cartoon wise, uh, Darkwing Duck. Was I got my Darkwing Duck on hard. <laughs> yeah. I liked it. I liked it too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was a really, really good one. And, and in, because of our age difference, maybe I shouldn't have gotten it on at that time, but, it, but the show rocked. Darkwing yeah. Duck was cool. You're never too old for cartoons. Oh, I think Adventure Time proves that. Like oh, that yeah, is, right. oh God, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, obviously, like I said I was into uh, to GI Joe, and like I said, the comic was this this one uh, constant uh, throughout my life and as a childhood. And you know, it, you know, we all through kids, we all have our little traumas. We and I moved a lot, so it's just it's just amazing that I was able to just to illustrate how important this was. Mm-hmm. You know, kids lose things and everything else, and I still have the comics that I. I mean, I didn't do that thing where you replace them as an adult, like, right? Like, if I have anything still, I have those original Joe comics that I bought as a kid, you know, 30-plus years ago, <laughs> right? Um, That's amazing, though. It, speak, it speaks volumes about the um, the real impact that they had on you sure. and how it, – it's amazing how finding something as a kid can stick with you and help mold you the rest of your life. Totally. I think everyone – I hope everyone has – something like that, like a positive totally, thing totally. that they were able to take totally. with them. Yeah. Totally. And, and and that's, I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why this was such a big deal because, you know, not to downplay it, but for, you know, you could look at it one thing, well, here's a, a 73 year old comic book writer sitting in a windowless, uh, airless room full of, uh, <laughs> nerdy, um, 
you know, as we say, uneffable men uh, <laughs> walking around, uh, me excluded, of course. Um, and but on the other hand, for me, I was like, it was like meeting John Lennon. It was like talking to John Lennon because I mean, this has meant so much to me. Yeah. Um, it also is a testament to how also how like I knew it was good, but it was like it's it's so good. So uh, and again, still going strong. So so here's here's a neat thing. This is what I want people to know. Is that the the comic started in 1982 with mm-hmm. GI Joe for Marvel Comics? It's called GI Joe, a real American hero. And what should have happened, like most of them, was that it should have lasted a year. Okay, nobody even wanted to do it. He, yeah, he was working in the mailroom. Okay, <laughs> uh, and and so he had been wanting to do something, and so anything. Based on a toy, it's just that's one way I wanted to do it because it has no life and also can potentially keep you from getting work. Right. It should not have lasted the 13-year run. Now, for me, I read G.I. Joe from ages 8 to 21. So you yeah. can imagine. And in 1995, one of the saddest freaking days of my life, uh, unexpectedly, it ended. It, it was very unexpected. But there was no – and we'll get into that, and you'll hear him talk about that in the interview – there was no sign that this was ending. Like, yeah. you know, and just like anything else, you can never say you can never get to go back home again. But the unlikely thing happened is that 15 years later, bless you, IDW publishing, <laughs> which is probably somebody I should, I should, I should get them to call in or something. Uh, was probably somebody just like me that is my age. It doesn't want to live in a world without Larry Hammer writing, uh, monthly G.I. Joe comics yeah. and got the license and made it happen. I wasn't even aware that it had happened until 2012, two full years after the fact. And of course, when I found out, uh, I couldn't believe it. And it is still going strong. So go to IDW Publishing. Okay, check it out. If you were a kid of the 80s, you remember, maybe, maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know that Larry Hama is still kicking serious ass. Right. Uh, and the current title is fantastic. It's not like, oh, it's not like the, the current Smashing Pumpkins drama or whatever, <laughs> where it's kind of a reunion tour, but, uh, but uh, no, like, like it's the real deal, you know? Uh, so I am so happy and uh, to bring all of you this. We got to, you know, kind of pay the bills here and kind of keep the lights on. So we want to go ahead and thank our sponsors uh, for, for joining in. Do you, uh, do you eat ice cream? Do you want... Uh, um, I do. I'm lactose intolerant, so I have to eat special kid ice cream, but I love it. I am too, <laughs> and I love ice cream. And Baskin Robbins is so good that they have made me uh, uh, forgo my lactose intolerant, uh, uh, no pain, no gain, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they have new stores that have just opened up in Little Elm, Texas, also Plano, and also uh, in Flower Mound, and a new one about to open up in South Lake uh, this coming spring. So if you're oh, really- nice. But, uh, but of course, they have stores nationwide. So this spring, check out Baskin-Robbins and have their 31 famous flavors to fill you and your uh, family with lots of ice cream-filled memories. Also, I want to give a shout-out to our Bulletproof Coffee. Uh, so I'm not, a, I'm not, per se, the, the biggest coffee drinker because I don't really like hot drinks. But this mm-hmm. is a cold brew. Uh, and what's cool about it is that I also don't do the energy drink thing because it was had all the garbage in it. Yes. Bulletproof coffee has kind of solved that and kind of kind of Frankenstein those those two because they use grass fed butter. That's amazing. The energy you're getting isn't from all the nonsense. It's actually from what they call brain octane oil, which is coconut oil. Uh, and it comes in four different flavors. 
original vanilla mocha and collagen protein. Uh, check out Bulletproof Coffee, your local Whole Foods. Uh, and then whenever you're going on to TrickyKid.com to read all the stories and 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 hear about our adventure in Salt Lake City and hear about our adventure at uh, you know at uh, excuse me at Sundance and and see this this green hair and <laughs> all the awesomeness. Um, while you're there, click on the link for Office Furniture to go. Everybody needs office furniture. Maybe you have a, uh, an office in your house. You need some new stuff. Spring's coming up. Yeah. Spring cleaning, right? Yeah, get some new stuff. Click on it. If you buy something, they'll throw us a few bucks back. We can kind of keep the lights on and keep bringing you shows <laughs> like this each and every single week. The main thing we need for you to do is when you go to iTunes, just click subscribe. It's free. Mm-hmm. Go to iTunes, type in Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. Click subscribe, and then if you like it, leave us a review. Leave us a five-star review. Yes. You think it doesn't help? It helps. It helps a lot. (laughs) Trust me, it helps a lot. Uh, Bump us up. That's right, man. And you can check us out again on trickykid.com. That's tricky-kid.com. You can find us on Twitter at trickykid2. Again, on Facebook at Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. Melissa, where can they find you? Again, Twitter and Instagram, same handle, because I'm not super exciting. Melissa Hatfield, that's me. Come find me. And so now, exactly, and you should. She's awesome, <laughs> and we're so happy to have you here. And speaking of rockin', dude, like, okay, so one of my favorite bands is a band from Austin, Texas, called The Sword. Yes, they are incredible. I was lucky enough to see them a couple of years ago at Gas Monkey, and it was it was amazing. Devastating. Right, yeah, it sure. was so wonderful. So I'm excited to have them back. Uh, they're actually uh, have a new album coming out on Razor and Tie on March 23rd called Use Future. Song of the Week, I want to play you the first single from it. It's called Deadly Nightshade, and it is the appropriate title. <laughs> and so not only are we bringing you new sword music, but I'm so proud that right after we, when we come back, we're going to bring you the legendary, the incomparable Larry Hama, the creator of the G.I. Joe universe. Amazing. Let's, let's keep rocking.
whenever you're ready. Okay, well, this is Sam Jones Flash Gordon. I'm with Roy Turner at Tricky Kid Radio. And you better be tuning in, or I will find you. Yes, I will. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. The sword has done it again. <laughs> Not that I'm shocked, but, um, oh, my gosh. Incredible. How do they do it? How do you stay that consistently incredible? Well, they have, over and over well they, have, they have a great musicianship, of course, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're, they are very dialed in. I mean, again, on one hand, like I said, there's that kind of that thing that's happening in Austin, Texas, that kind of fuzzed out. I guess here's how they do it. Yeah. If you spend enough time around people that drive rickshaws and make $6,000 a year <laughs> yeah. and, like, make their own hot sauce and, like, work, like, part-time at Whole Foods or something, it, 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 it gives you inspiration to do the opposite. Yes, yes. And, and so, uh, so they, uh, this music is designed to crush all of that. Yes, so. I like it. It does. <laughs> Again, the song is called Deadly Nightshade. It's on the new album called Use Future. It's coming out on March 23rd on Razor and Tide. They're taking pre-orders now. Uh, and very, very excited. Because they always do something very cool. They're a very fan-friendly band where they have a lot of great you know, vinyl bundles. And so it's kind of got that whole, you know, kind of vintage type kind of thing. Yeah. So they're the kind of band that will have, you know, stuff that you can't download. You know, awesome. something you want. Awesome. Okay, so like I said, uh, without any further ado, or maybe a little bit of a do, I do want to set this up for you a little bit, uh, is we're going to have Larry Hama. Um, so I had met Larry about eight years ago. Uh, there is a, you know, you have the Comic-Cons and you have the specific ones, like uh, fans of the Big Lebowski go to Lebowski Fest. Right. Uh, uh, male fans of My Little Pony uh, go to Brony Con or something yeah. like that. Yeah, give it up for the Bronies. Uh, right, right. I like them. <laughs> and so, but there was this, this, it was just a G.I. Joe thing, and I actually didn't know about it. It even was even happening until like the last day. I was still in New York, and I came home to visit, and I hear about it, and I was like, oh my God, tomorrow's <laughs> last day. I rush out there. And I met Larry, and, and, and he was cool, but like I said, he was that's what's so cool about Larry is that he, and you'll hear us talk about it, he's the punk, not the geek. And I didn't yes. know that at the time, you know? So we get into a lot of really cool, like even non-G.I. Joe stuff of him, you know, being a punk from New York and hanging with the Ramones and being in bands and all that great stuff. So so this, there's a lot of here for everybody. So if you think, well, well, gosh, I didn't read comics. I'm not really a Joe, uh, G.I. Joe person. Dude, like, you like fun, this yeah. is for you. You're still going to love it. As someone who was not um, super familiar with the comics herself, I had an amazing time. And listening to him speak and tell firsthand accounts of these amazing stories and the individuals that he partied with, I was just standing there like, this 73-year-old dude is so much cooler than I'll ever be. Like, <laughs> oh my God, I wish I had his life. <laughs> And so, so there's something here for everybody here, like I said, you know, if you like fun, you'll like this. So again, I, on a personal level, it is my profound pleasure to bring to you Larry Hama, the creator of the G.I. Joe universe. Uh, enjoy, uh, and we'll be right back after the interview uh, to uh, to do some, some wrap-ups and follow-ups here in one second. So I, I was contemplating saying Yo Joe, but I will spare... <laughs> You all of that. But anyway, here's Larry Hama. Enjoy. I got contacted uh, to restart the G.I. Joe 
with IDW uh, back in 2010. Um, how, how did that whole situation go about? How, how did they contact you? What were your thoughts? Where, where, where were you at as a, in your career at that point? Um, I was probably out of work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I went through about maybe six or seven years with like, uh, actually five years with almost no work at all. Okay. Like a, uh, nobody at Marvel or DC would answer my calls. Uh, you know, but the thing is, that I had always had a tough time getting uh, writing. You mean you mean after uh, the original uh, Marvel ended in '95, or, or or just period? Well, period. I mean, the only reason I got to write G.I. Joe was that they asked everybody else and they all turned it down. <laughs> I've heard that story before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, um, and even after it became a, a hit, they, I, I would say, well, yeah. I'm the number one selling book in the country, and you know, uh, can't I write something else for you guys? And they would say, well, no, you can only do that military stuff, and you only have that one book. So, so they were kind of thought of you as being kind of pigeonholed in a sense in terms of Well, what everybody do. at Marvel told me that if I did a toy license book, which is like the bottom of the barrel, uh, I would never get a book for the rest of my life. And they were, they were right. I was never offered a Nailis book while it was an Nailis so, book. Uh, but do you think it was for the reasons they said it was, though? Well, for, uh, probably for a number of reasons. You know, uh, I, I, I didn't fit into all the categories. You know, I was sort of an outsider. You know, I, I didn't hang out. You know. Right. So there's some, some politics there within kind of the, the group. I actually had girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about we were, we were just talking about that. I was like a, a welcome a welcome uh, a feminine presence here today, right? right. <laughs> um, um, and I was my whole life wasn't about that. comics I was playing in rock and roll bands right, and right. I was acting you know, um, uh, I had all sorts of outside interests yeah because well, one, one thing by following you you and I are pushing friends on Facebook one thing I really enjoyed is, is kind of the non-comic stuff is that I lived in Brooklyn for about eight years. I'm from here, but you're very much kind of an old punk from the village, aren't you? Like, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And I was. And, and what's so funny is that after knowing that, and, and after living in Brooklyn for those years, it actually helped me going back in some of the books I read as a kid, growing up in the middle of nowhere. I was kind of like getting a lot of your references later on. So, so you're. So this is the early '80s. You're like again this kind of like an old punk from the village not really swimming in those circles and so you think it kind of hurt your, your career in terms of long term or I mean clearly not because you had again one of the most popular long lasting books of all time well you know I wrote G.I. Joe for 14 years I wrote Wolverine for 8 years and during all those years I never got invited to a single convention <laughs> Why do you think? Why do you think that is? Because the the fanboys at the time didn't like me. <laughs> you know, I wasn't. You know, it's like 
they could sniff my throat and tell I wasn't one of them. Do you see how full circle this is coming here? Yeah, I like it. Before we came, I was I was kind of explaining kind of the dynamic about about that. Yeah. So, uh, and it wasn't until they aged out and you know uh, the kids that read my stuff when they were ten grew into those slots right for I, sure yeah. you know, now you know the, the kids that read my stuff run cons or own shops right or, you know or are editors or, right or whatever so who grew, who grew up with it and, yeah. and, and have a, a you know this lifelong appreciation that, yeah so you know uh, I had to just tough it out I mean he, it was Every month I had to keep writing this book that got no love from anybody except the actual readers. I got hundreds of letters a week from kids. Right, right. And I made it a point to um, answer as many of those as I could send out postcards. I had a a couple of years ago, this this, this woman, Jennifer, came up to me at at a con. And she actually, she had the postcard I sent to her. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that I sent to her when she was 10. Oh, and, and she cherished it her entire life. Yeah, and she brought it with, with her to show it to me. Um, and, um, you know, but it was it was very weird because, like, uh, I would go, they would ask me to go do signings at, at, at shops. And I would go to, the first time I went to one, it was in Washington, or actually in Alexandria. And I got there, I drove down from New York with my wife, and I said, well, this this should only take like, you know, an hour or so. And we got there, and there was a line that went outside the shop all the way around the block. Oh, my gosh. Because you weren't really aware of... No, so I, I, I sat there for something like six hours. Because <laughs> so, uh, I didn't want to, like, cut off the line and just... For sure, of course know. not. So if a kid is standing on line for three, three hours, I'm not going to say, well, that's... <laughs> right. <laughs> of course not. Of course. So, right. Uh, so my wife said, look, you know, I'm going to go to the mall. <laughs> well, that's what I was telling you whenever we were talking, uh, corresponding, was that I would never would want to, you know, come between you and the readers. I'm one of those readers and have been, you know, for my entire life as well. So I, but don't you think that your status now is this one of, it's, it's really one of notoriety and respect. And you've earned that. I mean, well, not, you know, to, to my fans, but, you know, I'm still like a non-entity to uh, most editors well, you know, in the business. Yeah. You know, I uh, always had a hell of a time getting work. You know, uh, but so when IDW called you, and I'm going to show this for, for the camera here so we, they, can, they can see it, is, um, and this is why this is important, so I'm going to bring this up here, is that this is, of course, the 155 and a half issue here. So for those that, that are watching, um, uh, this also, of course, will be streaming on our, on, our, on our channel as well, but is that 
G.I. Joe ended, of course, in 1995, right, with issue 155. You wrote 153 of those issues, right? Well, maybe 150. Yeah, but they, I, maybe there was a half a dozen issues I didn't write. Right, but but still, come on, he's the man, he's the face of it. Um, so the reason why this is important is because tell me another comic book where 15 years after the fact, instead of starting at number one, which they would have benefit to do because people want to you know, be, a, be a part of that and get to start from the beginning, that they started with issue 156 to suggest that there was some unfinished business there. <laughs> Whose idea was that? It was their idea. It was their idea? And, and what did you think about it when they pitched it to you? Well, it was fine with me because I didn't, you know, one reason I, I, I wanted to do it was I didn't really, you know, writing G.I. Joe is something I really don't even have to think about. Right, you know, okay. And, um, uh, you know, anything else, you know, is, it just involves too much. Because <laughs> I don't really read comics. Right. You know, um, when they gave me Wolverine, I hadn't ever read a Wolverine comic. And, uh, but you were familiar with the character, but you said I, I knew who the character it, was, but I had never you know, really read it. So I had to do a lot, of, you know, go back and. I only read the, the Frank Miller, the Chris Claremont, and Barry Smith. It's pretty much all you need, right? <laughs> and I figured, well, that's the canon. That's right. You know, everybody else is inconsequential. Right. You know, and um, I stuck with that. Um, I, I guess I'm not part of the canon. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you, so do you consider now that the stuff that you wrote for Wolverine, would that... That, that's, that is considered to be part of the canon. You're right there with those guys. Yeah, but they, you know they've rewritten everything so far and changed everything. So that everything that I wrote is now obsolete. Well, some people, I think, readers out there might choose to for you know <laughs> to forget that some of that exists. Speaking of which, okay, so that brings me to this. Speaking of canon, so of course Joe ends in '95 with Marvel. Uh, then was it Devil's Due picks it up in 2001. And it ran for a while. And I, and as a fan of G.I. Joe, I couldn't help but, but read it. And I know that you did a, a few things with them, uh, with an Origins book and all that. I did uh, Origins. I did... Uh, well, the thing was, they didn't understand my process. The problem is, like, you know, and, and, and IDW had all these G.I. Joe titles that weren't, you know, a know. real American hero. Um, everybody always thinks they can do it better. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, 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 th- I said, well, look, first of all... Nobody can do better. <laughs> well, no, first of all, all these characters are, are based on people I know. So well, you know, that's if, why, if, if people don't know who these people are, the characters are not going to be consistent. The way I kept them consistent all that time was that there was a, a real-life reference point that I could... Uh, you know, reference. That's big. And, uh, That's big. And it kept everything really consistent. I never considered that. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, they, they they don't know those people. Everything goes off character. You know? and, and that's why I can't... I've never watched... I've never seen a single episode of the animation. Um, because they just... It's very did, different. <laughs> they didn't understand the characters. Right. Know? And they had a certain restrictions, I'm sure, that they had to follow right. as well. And I didn't like the voices, most, you know, for the most part. I mean, 
I thought the, you know, Mary Mack who did Lady J was pretty good. Yeah. You know? uh, but I thought Cobra Commander and Destro were like completely off, off character. Well, they, 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 they needed, I guess, to be cartoonish because they're cartoons. But I always wanted to know what you thought about those voices. So, Destro, when I write Destro, I, I have uh, Sean Connery. Sure. And Scottish. When I, when I write Cobra Commander, it's it's Orson Welles. <laughs> you know, or somebody thinks they're Orson Welles. <laughs> you know, because he has to talk in these, you know, oval tones and... Uh, slow. Slow and uh, very pompous. And uses lots of big, big words polysyllabic <laughs> and, uh, he's full of himself yeah uh, he's not this high pitched kind of Freddy uh, cat kind yeah, of thing no. yeah yeah <laughs> that, that right right so that's interesting so you know when it comes to I know thinking about restrictions of course you know there's the G.I. Joe movies and all that that came out the live action stuff you know and, and they're enjoyable on their own face but they're they're not the G.I. Joe story Right. Did, weren't you hired to come on to be, like, at the very least, a consultant on some of these? They hired me as a consultant on the first movie. Okay. Okay. And uh, I read the first script, and it, they had Snake Eyes talking in it in the final, you know, ten minutes of the movie. And I said, no, you can't have that. And then they said, well, no. I mean, we know he can't talk. That's why having him speak in the last five minutes is, is, is terrific. No, that's... You know, and I said... <laughs> But that's contrary to the character. He's not like... He didn't take a vow of silence. He can't talk. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I realized that every other battle was not worth it. So I just... I let everything else slide. And every day, I would just send them a note that said... Snake eyes can't talk. <laughs> and finally, you know, they actually shot the scenes where he talks. And finally they decided, oh, well. And that's, I think, just by doing that, I earned my consultancy fee. Well, you know, but see, it's that kind of tone deafness that, you're, that you've been battling. Because you... The story of G.I. Joe, if people who know the story of G.I. Joe, like, 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 of course, I know it, and as you wrote it, why not just tell that story? It's such a great story. What's wrong with telling that story? They don't understand the the intrinsic fantasy, you know, that, you know, G.I. Joe isn't a military fantasy. It's not a war book. It's a fantasy about loyalty and camaraderie, you know, which, to a 10-year-old kid, it's an extremely powerful fantasy because every 10-year-old kid has been betrayed out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of best friends that, like, never let you down. You know, That's right. And will stand up for you. That's right. If you're in trouble, they'll come and get you. That's right. Uh, That's a powerful fantasy. And it's also a fantasy of, you know, doing the right thing having integrity without looking for the reward and about duty and you know old fashioned things like that that to a kid represents order 
you know. Yeah. And, uh, and they respond to that. It's very comforting. I've, I hear from hundreds, literally, of people who say, you know, uh, my family life when I was a kid was really horrible. You know, my parents were, like, divorcing, they were fighting all the time. Or I was being bullied, and you know, all these, these horrible things. And they said that you know, the GI Joe universe was something that they could retreat into. It was very comforting. Yes, yes. And, uh, that was really a surprise to me. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when I started getting letters from the, from the original GI Joe. Room, about 30% were from girls, which was really surprising. Yeah. You know, and, uh, Did it change the way you wrote the book at all because of that? Well, the thing is, what, what civilians, or, uh, that's what I call non-comic <laughs> don't realize is that if a comic book comes into a household that there's five kids in the household, every kid in that household will read that, that comic. Right, sure, sure. Because it's there. Yes. You know, I know that, you know, I had girl cousins and when I was a kid, and they, they had stacks of comics, but they had girl comics. Right, right. You know, they had Archie's, they had Little Lulu's, yeah. they had... Sabrina. Uh, Sabrina. Well, this is before Sabrina, but they had uh, all the Harvey comics. Right, sure, sure. Little Star. Archie and all, all that stuff. And, um, I read them, you know. They came to my house. They read my Supermans and stuff. Yeah. They had, they would have Supermans and, and uh, Lois Lane and yeah. things like that, but you know, not Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it was it was the, the, the relation yeah, thing. Yeah. So 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 they would read the a, a, a journalist Susan Faludi told me that you know she read. She had your comics because she was the only girl and, and she had like five five brothers. You know, so she was she, probably exposed she, to she was sort of, she got to play with like G.I. Joe toys and G.I. Joe comics. Because that's what was there. Right, right. You know? And you don't uh, get to pick and choose at that at that age, right? Right, you, know? you don't get to pick and choose right. and it's you know it's it's there in the house. So um, that's what it was. I was going to show you, you were talking about, to, to continue this little series here, I was going to show you, uh, to also to the cameras, you were talking about how snake eyes, of course, can't speak, falling on some, some tone-deaf ears in the movie industry. I see you have a blow-up of it right over there. This is about being a 10-year-old person. So this right here is something that I bought with my own money at age 10, at the, back when they had the, uh, do you remember the... Comics came in the in the little these little spin around little racks mm-hmm. at the drug spinners. Store. Spinners, right? Okay. So bought at the local uh, uh, spinner rack at the thing there in 1984. I was 10 years old, whatever. And this is, of course, GI Joe readers, of course, will know this is the famous silent issue where there is not one word uh, actually written to the entire thing. This, you know, no pun intended, spoke to me uh, in the same way that you were. You were you were describing it was I thought it was so powerful uh, that you were able to tell this story to really give shape to the Snake Eyes character. When you went to your editor to say you were going to do this issue with no words, was there any pushback at all? No, because 
what happened was that there was some sort of snafu and they were one issue short or something, so they needed to generate an entire issue in three weeks. Oh, so it was a matter of time constraint. <laughs> it, was, it was a time constraint thing, and the first thing I said was, well, look, you know, if we don't get it lettered, we save an entire week. And if I write it and draw it myself, um, that saves another week and a half to two weeks. You know, so um, I, I wrote it, quote, unquote, right. and, and drew it in uh, three days. About seven pages a day. Uh, and Steve Leoloa uh, did the finishes. So I did breakdowns, not right. finished pencils. Right. Um, which were pretty much like pencils without blacks. And uh, he inked it in like a week. And it went out. It wasn't the fastest we'd ever done a comic. I think me and Howie Chaikin and Vinnie Coletta hold the record. We did a, a James Bond movie adaptation, uh, double size issue, uh, from having nothing to having it go out the door. We did it in one week. <laughs> Script, pencil, ink, letter, color. What 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 fueled this? Like, <laughs> what what fueled this? Like what were, what were was, you listening to at the time? What music were you like? What what? It was. Uh, you know, seven days of punk rock spitting this out in a week, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, but you know, that, that's what you had to do. Yeah. yeah. So after after you did the issue, were, were you were you like, man, they should all be like this? Like, <laughs> no, they. Uh, we got lots of letters from kids, little kids, say, I got a a faulty issue where all the lettering fell off. <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading about that. There's some people who thought they had gotten like, hey, what happened to my comic this, this right, month? exactly. And some <laughs> kids said, you know, I was a, a rip-off because, you know, I, I, it only took me like uh, three minutes to read. You know, and, uh, well, you know, they look, they wait for all month for that hour or two, that, you know, but it, I had the opposite effect. I didn't think it was faulty. I thought it was powerful. I remember showing it to, 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 to my mom and, and, uh, and thinking how cool it was. And, and I've really not been much like that done since. And you did, you did another one later, didn't you? I did. I think I did two of them. You did two of them later on. But so going back to the IDW thing. Well, you know, that Marvel did... They did a whole anthology of, of uh, comics without words at one point. They got, they, they, it was at a time when I was a pariah. <laughs> so, and they're still you know, your idea. Yeah, they, they did the, the, the silent comic, and um, they, they never called me. Uh, look, they did the entire uh, you know, 9-11 tribute issue. And I live like two and a half blocks from the World Trade Center. I was there. Yeah. I, I, you know, uh, I could see people jumping from my window. You know, uh, uh, had to be evacuated from, from my apartment for over like six or seven weeks. We couldn't go back. And I remember you. So I was the, I was the only comic artist or writer you know, who was an actual witness to the event, and they didn't bother to call me. <laughs> And again, and again, like, why would, other than you just not shooting pool with uh, with the boys, like, why do you, I mean, that, 
I mean, first of all, use your idea of the silent issue. You would have been the most informed about this. You would think that they would source it, uh, you know, for that. We're going to be done in about in about about seven minutes. Um, and, and if, do you want to take a break and, and, and take care of it fast? No. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, I remember you saying uh, on Facebook during the uh, during the 9-11 anniversaries, you told a very harrowing story about after you guys were evacuated, and when you came back home, that some of these like armchair asshole patriots were calling people out of the phone book that had a last name that they didn't seem to recognize. So you were actually having to deal with well, Hamas is now. like um, you know a Syrian uh, terrorist, the Hamas. The Hamas, right, right. And uh, yeah, I got all these uh, these hate messages on the internet. <laughs> but like, look, after this last election, you know, uh, I, I've been told to go back where I come from. You know, uh, at least uh, half a dozen times. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm not gonna uh, they were probably G.I. Joe readers. I was on a plane, you know, coming back from right. Australia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some woman, okay. hey, good to you. you know, uh, Oh, yeah, no it was the middle of the night, so the lights were out. I, I went to the uh, lavatory, and you know she had her foot sticking out into the aisle. And I stepped on her foot because I couldn't see it. And she yelled, and she looked at me, and she said, "You know, what's wrong with you? You should just go back where you came from." You know, and, and I said, well, "I'm never moving back to Queens." <laughs> Amen, brother. For somebody who lives in Queens as well. And I said, you know, uh, my, mom was, my mom was born in Sacramento. You know, my grandfather, you know, came to the States in like 1890. You know, like my family's been here longer than a lot of white people. <laughs> Bless you, Mr. Hoffman, so, for putting her in her place for that. It's such bullshit. Uh, you know, now have a license to uh, to voice all the stuff that they've been you know wise enough to keep quiet about well, yeah well it, it, it is unfortunate that people do tend to use those voices for for for, for other reasons we try to tend to use our uh, uh, format and platform the voice that we've worked for and to be given to to do nice things by you know you know Telling the truth, uh, giving people good music and good stories, you know, just like, like just like you have. What uh, what what was what some of the music that you were listening to and influenced by when you were writing GI Joe in the eighties? Ramones, yeah, the Ramones, right? But you know, there were bands that I always liked, you know, always liked the Kinks. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you part of that whole like CBGBs thing in the late seventies? I mean, did you go down to played CBGBs a lot? Yeah. You know, I had a band called the Chaotix. Right. Um, Max's Kansas the City and all that as well. Yeah. I didn't play Max's, but I used to hang out there. Yeah, and, right. And Danceteria. Uh, we played Danceteria, played Irving Plaza, played Pyramid, played Downtown Bayview. Um, that became all, Webster Hall, right? Yeah, or, all those clubs. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the original members of the band was Bobby London, who had done, like, you know, artwork for the punk magazine, and so he, he knew, like, uh, the Ramones. Wow. So, you 
know, I, I got to go to parties at the when I was off. Oh, <laughs> I used to go to have sushi with Joey at uh, this hole-in-the-wall sushi joint in East Philly. <laughs> Sort of in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> Where you would go down the steps. You had to go down the steps to get to this place, and it was so narrow. It was like there were no tables. It was just a counter. <laughs> But it was, it was good sushi. Those are always the best places in New York. Yeah. When I lived in Brooklyn for eight years, it was always those little adventures of finding those little spots and all that, you know? Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, we... So you were the that world is a fairly small world. You know, I remember we, we, once we, we booked the rehearsal space at uh, Daily Planet, which is a rehearsal studio. Very popular rehearsal studio. And we had to, they said, well, you know, room A that we want is like occupied, you know, but it'll be free in like 20 minutes if you want to wait. So, okay, so we're sitting there in the waiting room waiting. And 20 minutes later, the door opens and out troop the kinks. Oh. <laughs> Talk about having a family moment. Yeah, so, you know, we, we go into the room and Bobby London, you know, ran around and he, He's like he, he took out his notepad and he, he, and he was writing down the settings on all the apps. <laughs> <laughs> this was before the internet, before you could get like you know the you know the, the levels on the on the mixer and all that. That's so awesome. Yeah, he wanted you know you know when did they set the uh, you know. The, was this before he had done some artwork for them, or was, was this how he, he started to do some work for them? He didn't do artwork for the, the Kings. Well, you said he did some artwork for... Uh, punk Magazine. Oh, Punk Magazine. Okay, and, there and we go. For the, okay. And for the Ramones. Okay. For the Ramones, got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, okay. There, okay, there we go. Okay. So he's sitting there. You know, I, I have to tell you, I toured with a band, and we did a tour. Uh, uh, I wasn't in the band, but I was working with the band. And we toured with Motorhead. And the first thing I did was what you just described, was how does Lemmy get that sound out of his bass? <laughs> right. You know, and, so I can't I can't hate on on Mr. London for doing that because I've done the same thing. So, uh, but it, I always thought that was so cool because, like I said, you were the punk, not the geek, and so that's why Marvel or whoever you weren't, like you said, you weren't one, not necessarily a pariah, but you weren't one of one of the boys in their respect. Well, when I, you know, when I started there, I had hair down to my butt. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I tended to wear black t-shirts with skulls on them. I love those early photographs of you with the guitar and the long hair and like rocking out and stuff. Do you still play at all? Yeah, I, you know, haven't played out in ages. Yeah. I sold off all my big amps. I had like a, you know, big fenders. Yeah. Had a, they were all pre-CBS fenders, so I got good money for them. I, I bet, for sure. Um, These were the old tube amps, right? Yeah, old, uh, I had a, band, a big bandmaster with a big cabinet, and, um, you know, uh, small cabinets, but I, 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 I held on to, like, the smallest. I have a pre-CBS Fender Champ. Oh, so wow. sweet. And, um, so, but you got a pretty penny for that, then. A Champ it's a, it's with reverb. Oh. And, Man. Uh, it's in perfect condition. I have... Um, a plexiglass uh, Stratocaster that uh, used to belong to John Cale. Oh my gosh. And it's used on uh, the Lou Reed uh, Blue Mascot. How did you get it? I was walking down uh, 48th Street uh, by Music Row. Oh, yeah, uh, right. Sure. 
on the guy at Wee Buy was putting it in the window as I was walking by. Well, that's kind of fate then, to the point. And I just cashed a, a big uh, you know, check. Time to celebrate. So, <laughs> and, and I walked in and I, I bought it right on the spot. Fantastic. So, and uh, it's the only guitar I ever had that people kept trying to buy off me. Yeah, well, sure. Well, and, and you still have it, right? Yeah, I still have yeah, it. Yeah. So it's my main axe. So I have a pre-CBS blonde strap, also Fender. People need to, to see and hear what this stuff sounds like. You should, you should book a gig soon, man. There's, there's video on YouTube. Of OV playing it. Of, um, We're going to have to include this in the episode. Yeah, we, uh, when we played... A couple of times when we played Stephen Jeeves, you know, we, uh, we had a video. I've never seen that. I'll have to look for that. You come with us. And, you know, you, you slip the sound guy at Stephen Jeeves, you know, at 20, and he'll plug your your uh, camera into a direct feed. Into the sure, sure, sure. You don't get you don't get the audience uh, feed. Right. It's that, 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 that. But the sound system at CBGB is, is amazing. And their sound engineers were really, they had uh, eight mics just on the drum kit. Well, how loud that is. Can you imagine how loud that is? And so the, the drums and the bass, and, and they would mic the amps. Yeah. You know, they put the, Sure, uh, SM57. Right in, uh, yeah. Right, right on, right, right. on the head, and uh, so you, you got this amazing bottom. Yeah, out of it, that, that that very heavy. Yeah, yeah. and a real snap. Because you know, they they knew how to mic a drum kit. You, know, you, you you point the mic at the edge of the cymbals. That's right. That's things like that. Yeah. They, they knew how to do that. Yeah. Lots of places you go, they don't. You don't know how to mic drums. On my experience of touring and stuff, I can attest to that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, were you there the last night with Patty Smith and all that? Whenever no. but I, I, I saw Patty Smith play there. Oh wow, wow! Um, I saw Blondie play there. Jeez, um, we, we used to go, you know, clubbing with the, the Nashville Lampoon Oh my God. And, uh, Go to a bar called the Bells of Hells, and sometimes after the Bells goes down to see these. Was it in the Bowery as well? No, no. Bells of Hells was on the uh, west side of the village. Okay. Um, I think it's still there, but it's no longer the Bells of Hell. But uh, yeah, it was uh, a heady time. Hell yeah, man! Late seventies, <laughs> early eighties. <laughs> But how cool that you were right in the thick of it, and then you found a way to be an artist yourself. Yeah. I, Do you find it unlikely at all? What? That I mean, again, like I said, you know, again, you're a punk from the village, and and what what became was something probably very different from what you had had originally thought when you were, you know, let's say in your early twenties in the nineteen seventies. No, I don't. No, I don't have. Expectations. Yeah. Took it day by day. Yeah. uh, I was more interested in, you know, 
comics didn't occupy my whole life. And I, that's right. That's right. I still belong to all three acting unions. Uh, you know, once in a while I get together with the players and we still jam. The one thing I, I never got into, click. See, one of the reasons I don't get work is that none of my friends are writers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I started out drawing. I don't, I don't call myself an artist. I think artist, the name artist is an appellation, not a job description. It is, it is. Uh, calling yourself an artist is like calling yourself a poet. It's just a poet. You know, it's like, you're, not, you're not a poet, you're just a rhymer. You know, and, uh, you know, if you're a poet, people will call you a poet. That's right. You don't call yourself a poet. No, you don't call yourself an artist. Right. I think it's really so you can say uh, bullshit on the show. Yeah. So the most of my friends in the business are the guys that draw the stuff. You know, um, I don't hang out with the writers. All the art editors are writers. Yeah. And all the editors are who are writers aren't very happy about artists that, that write their own stuff <laughs> because that takes away their for sure. Well, here is to keep rocking, Mr. Hama. Okay. You have done so much awesomeness, and uh, like I said, I hope you keep, I would love to see you book a gig soon. Like, come, okay. come see you rock out, my friend. Well, you know, if you if you go on YouTube, uh, do a search for Chaotix, K-O-T-I-C-S, and CBGBs. Okay. Because there's three other bands called the Chaotix. Okay. One of them's a Korean boy band. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna go. Hey, is is that Larry right there in the morning? So, so it's very clear to our to our listeners that are listening now. Yeah, all and our watchers. At CBGBs in the early nineties, ninety one. Ninety one. Okay, I can't wait to see that. I didn't know that existed. And there you have it from the words of the man himself. I want to thank Larry so much. Uh, you know, it's funny because I've been calling him Larry Hammer for <laughs> you know thirty six years. And uh, it's actually Hama. Yeah. Um, and I probably will always call him Larry Hama, uh, maybe not to his face anymore. <laughs> but, uh, just the once. <laughs> but, wow. I mean, what a moment just for me to be able to just uh, on a personal level to be able to have that moment of just, you know, it's like one of those things they say, you know, never beat your idols. And, and for the most part, I can have I can point to some moments where that was absolutely true. <laughs> and, you know, and we, you know, wasn't quite sure how this was going to play out. What was what was your impression of Larry? I thought he was incredible. He was um, I mean, from the moment we started talking to him, he was very, very nice. I think he very much enjoyed the fact that you hooked him up with some chips and so did go to sandwich. That was super nice. Right, right. But he was. Um, he was very polite. I know that he had to have been exhausted, you know, us catching him on midday Sunday yeah. when there was only a couple of hours at the con left. So he's been slammed all weekend and he still made time for us. And that was really, really incredible. Um, for sure. I yeah. want to thank Larry so much for that. You know, and, but I, I also thought this too, because like I said, you know, we, we weren't quite sure how this was totally going to go. Right. Initially, because it's unfortunate that Larry you know, doing what he does kind of has to kind of deal, again, we talked about this before, like I said, there are 
some good folks out there, and then there's some people that give uh, that those stereotypes or, or validate them. Yes. And I, it, my only goal was to make sure not to do that, and I also wanted him to actually enjoy it. You know, yeah. So as you guys heard, there's a lot of non-Joe stuff there, and that's what he—he he really seemed to come alive. Yeah. When, because again, I didn't want it to be a thing where if you've seen ten Larry Hama interviews, they're all the same. Exactly. I wanted this one to be different, not just from a professional standpoint, but I wanted it to be something for him. Mm-hmm. And know? he enjoyed it. You could tell. I mean, the fact that you were asking about his time in New York and the kind of music he liked. And it was, it was wonderful. And it was great to see him kind of light up and right, come alive right, during right, those times. Right. Yeah. Because it was, he's the punk, not the geek. And exactly. so, and all day long. So uh, what was your inspiration for snake eyes? And, <laughs> and why did you choose, you know, and, and issue one thirty two in the original you know, series? Why did you, why did that one gun have that one, like, uh, you know, there's only, and we, and it was funny, we heard that you said something I thought was cool, was, and, and I get it, that people have been preparing these little statements, and they think that they're the only one yeah. <laughs> that is asking that question. Exactly, exactly. When you have a question in your head for that long, you think it's yours, you think it's very special and important, so I get it. I've been in that position before, For not sure. necessarily at a, at a comic book convention, but meeting someone that I was like, Oh my God, I can't wait to talk to him, you know, getting very silly. So I don't, I don't fault anyone for it, but I think the fact that you were able to talk to him about his genuine interest, it, it really, really helped him to want that interview to continue. And I really felt like he was almost kind of like sad when it was over. Like, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, hey, can we can we kind of live in that world? I'm not really ready to go back to the fanboys. More yet. Ramones, please. Right, right. <laughs> but you know, I mean, and, and, and I, I, I kid, of course, because I'm, I'm, you know, I know how grateful Larry is for his readers and, mm-hmm. and everything else. But I just, I wanted it to be something that he would enjoy. I didn't want it to be the same old, same old. You know, absolutely. And and you know, in one part of that was, and I hope to do a sequel because because you get because again there was so much more that we could have talked about. Yeah. Of course, I mean there always will be. I mean I know I know everything. <laughs> and uh, but I think but I felt good about it. You know, um, you know it was one of those things too where you know as we were going. It, it occurred to me like this is this is nuts. Like I, you know, this guy has influenced me so much. He's inspired me so much. And uh, and again, like I said, and I was, you know, you know, early on, he and I had had conversed. Um, uh, we exchanged a few messages and emails together. And he uh, was very no BS. Uh, yes. And was very he was nice and and had agreed to it and we had booked it and all that sort of thing, but. I felt like it was an extension of stuff that he had to deal with. Talk a little bit about some of the 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 the, the signs he had set up there on the desk, you know. Oh my goodness. Okay. He literally had folders that were labeled with note cards that said either do not touch, you know, or put back where you found it. And I just thought to myself, how sad you know, there are not a lot of kids here. Like, how sad that people are just coming up to his table, grabbing things as though they're his. Like, because he's there, that's their time. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Come on, guys. We're all still people. You have to respect an that's individual's right. belongings right. and time. But I just thought, how many people have treated him in such a way that was disrespectful? 
that it was necessary for him to label his damn folders <laughs> I know, I know. and his art books. And I just thought, that's kind of pathetic. Well, not to mention that, too, because, you know, you would initially kind of get the idea of, like, is this guy a jerk? Right. But you realized that, no, they were totally born at necessity. Mm -hmm. And, again, we're not throwing anybody under the bus here. No. But just in the time that we were there and we saw the people coming up to him, we kind of got – that side of it and see that the, 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 the same questions he has to field all day long, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, and so again, I just, I just didn't want to, you know, obviously I, I wasn't going to be that guy, but, you right. know, but even during the interview, something happened that I couldn't believe <laughs> that has never happened uh. to me before. And I didn't even know that Larry was so cool about it that he had put up that uh, interview in progress. Yes. So you can see pictures of me with Larry taken by the great Melissa Hatfield um, yes. uh, on kid.com and also on our social media all this all this next coming week here. Uh, and, of course, you'll be able to see uh, the entire interview also mm -hmm. shot and edited and produced by Miss Melissa Hatfield. Yeah. Uh, will be appearing very soon also on our on our YouTube channel for Cricket Kid TV. But – you know, for the most part, comic book fans are just what you think they are. These kind of, you know, non-threatening, non-aggressive or passive-aggressive, like, you know, uh, types. And this guy comes up right in the middle of the interview kind of demanding. Uh, Larry's time. Yeah. I mean. Wanting, <laughs> what, you know, without realizing that, you know, and, uh, and I even um, you know, just to get him out of our, our, our hair and our mm -hmm. faces – I even said to Larry, I said, hey, man, you, you want to go ahead and take care of this guy? I, at that point, was unaware he had written that that yes. interview in progress sign was up. And he looked over at the guy and looked back at us and goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was validating. I really Very liked much. it. <laughs> So I definitely want to thank Larry Hama, not only for the years and years of inspiration, but being for, so generous with his time. Yes. It's so cool. And sitting here and somebody talk about, you know, having dim sum with Joey Ramone and, oh. and hanging out in the village while he's also talking about his years at, at Marvel, a legendary, legendary person, a legendary career that has filled me, uh, my childhood, my adulthood. Because again, guys, the comic is still going strong. IDW picked up right where they left off uh, with issue 156 in 2010. I think they're up to like 250 something now. That's amazing. So IDW Publishing, check it out. Again, Larry Hama, bless you, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And thank you, Melissa Hatfield. Yes, thank me. I thank you. <laughs> uh, so speaking of which, uh, uh, you know, I, I also, of course, want to thank all of our great sponsors out there. Uh, again, thank you to Baskin Robbins. Thank you to Bulletproof Coffee, Office Furniture to Go. Where can they find you on the social media interwebs? Twitter and Instagram. My handle is the same at Melissa Hatfield, M E L I S S H A T F I E L D. And uh, yeah, I'm 31 Flavors of Awesome. So get on that. <laughs> Thanks for that assist there, Baskin Robbins. Uh, yeah, you know what? <laughs> If I was counting, I would say you're at least 31. There we go. So, you know, <laughs> uh, but again, uh, and again, of course, you can find us, of course. Go to iTunes. Subscribe. Go to Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. Leave us a, a review if you like yes. this show. Uh, click on our links. They'll throw a couple bucks back our way. 
And again, we're so excited. This again, this is just a season six premiere. We've got so much coming your way. You can stay tuned again on, on Twitter, on Tricky Kid, the number two. Of course, you know, you can go to trickykid.com, see pictures of what we're talking about, pictures from the con, pictures of Larry Hama. Uh, Larry um, does these sketches. Oh, Even though gosh. he's the writer, he's actually doing these sketches that he actually, you can, he'll do for you. And he did this amazing one for me uh, of, of Firefly. And my old school Joe people will know why, exactly <laughs> why. Because, uh, uh, you know, uh, all I got to say is uh, buried in that freighter underneath that volcano. And uh, <laughs> they'll know exactly what, what I'm alluding to. Uh, so to my, my, to my Joe universe and to all uh, our great listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us. Miss Hatfield, thank you. And can we expect to have you back on the show soon? Oh, yes. Yes. This was an amazing time. Thank you so much for having me. Um, This was overall an incredible experience. And I'm very, I feel very lucky to have been a part of it. So thank you. Well, well, thank you for being here. And again, you can find us, of course, we're going to be in New Orleans. Uh, We'll be at WrestleCon on the floor there doing this very show live with as many guests. Uh, My friend Diamond Dallas Page uh, will be coming by to say hello as well as Sin Bodhi, uh, and lots of lots of great guests. Uh, check out DJ Tricky Kid if you're on Facebook and also on our website. Lots and lots of bookings uh, coming up. And also, if you need a DJ uh, for any event, uh, don't be afraid to, uh, to, to to hit us up there. And again, uh, to, uh, to the guys at North Texas Comics, uh, keep rocking, and we will see you next week. <laughs>